This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 18, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New for this year, 2017 opening day rosters, historic Negro League integration, run the ultimate what-if scenarios, tournaments, fall leagues, a redesigned injury system, an improved 3D game, real-time presentation, and game highlights, improved player morale, and team chemistry, and so much more. Out of the Park Baseball 18 has the full sleeper in the bust stamp of approval. We all play it and have for years. Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bust podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, and just enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bust, indie sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 18. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout for a special discount and to support our show. Guys, I, I'm obsessed with this game. It is so much fun. Um, I played a lot of OTP17. You guys have heard me talk about my Twitch streams, twitch.tv slash peacefor24. I was streaming my 17 franchise over there. I, I, I did a fantasy draft in 1995. I was able to get Ken Griffey Jr., and Pedro Martinez. I don't know what the computer was thinking there, uh, letting letting both of those guys get there. I took Pedro with my first pick, and then and then got Ken Griffey Jr. I haven't started my new eighteen one for um, for streams yet, but I'm going to. And I'm actually just gonna gonna start over. I, I I won the World Series that first year with the with the seventeen team, but I'm gonna start a new one. We'll do the draft at some point soon, so stay tuned for that. But out of the park is is just so much fun. You've heard me talk about. Uh, other baseball video games I like, they're, they're two different experiences. This is the sim, in-depth, management sort of deal, and then the other game is, is playing. So um, I absolutely love this game. One last time, ootpdevelopments.com, sleeper18 is, is your discount code. Uh, that lets them know that we, that we sent you there, and they give you a little bit of uh, a little bit off the top as well. If you do play the game, let me know. Let me know what you're doing with it. Let me know what, uh, what team you're going with, whether you're starting historically or going from now. Uh, if you do the fantasy draft, hit me up on Twitter at Spora. I love kind of seeing how people go because it, it doesn't just play out 100% to, to history. Things can change and you can have guys, you know, you can have a failed prospect that actually pans out for you. So I, I love seeing that stuff. Definitely hit me up there. Um, and, and, and thanks for supporting the show by, by going to ootpdevelopments.com. Welcome to episode 488 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, August 17th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I do have a special guest today. It's going to be Jeff Zimmerman from Rotographs. Um, also works at Rotowire, I think Baseball HQ. He does a lot. I got an interview with him coming up here shortly. I uh, just wanted to let you all know that uh, obviously Thursday is normally Eno's day. Uh, he had to go to the park today, so he and I are scheduled to go tomorrow, Friday, on the 18th. So you'll get three days in a row you'll get uh thursday friday saturday so uh because jason and i are still gonna i think actually 
hold the phone on that Saturday. Uh, but you will get Thursday and Friday. But anyway, uh, Jeff and I talk about some of his most recent articles, some of the stuff that he's been looking at. Uh, so here it is. All right, I'm here now with Jeff Zimmerman, senior writer over at Fangraphs. Jeff, wanted to bring you on and talk about a few different things that have been uh, that have been going on here in the uh, the latter part of the season. Some of the stuff you've been writing about. How, how have you been doing? Been doing good. It's um, ready to go on a week long vacation, and I'll have very limited internet access, so I'll it's, probably it's, come back to a lot of no, um, news. But yeah, it's much. That's kind of your last thing, right? Right. That's kind of your last thing before you uh, before you head out. Yes, according to the podcast. Um, so we got, we got plenty of stuff to talk about here, but I, I really want to focus on some of the breakout stuff you've been doing. Real. Two different pieces that I will link in the show notes about finding breakouts, the stickiness of breakouts, two separate articles, kind of highlighting the best uh, metrics when it comes to finding breakouts and, and just how viable those are when we see them either within a given year or uh, year over year. I like the part where you looked uh, you know, March, April versus how long it sticks the rest of the year. So I want to talk a little bit about those pieces first, then get into some specific players. When you were doing the finding breakouts piece, first off, what was the impetus uh, and, and what was your process? Um, the main thing I had problems with, I've just known for years, is actually trying to figure out which hitters that are performing good, is it an actual change or not? And... Sometimes with pitchers, it's a lot easier. We can go see their velocity jump. We mm-hmm. can see they get a new pitch. It's You can even just watch him. It's like, oh, this is why he's better. He's throwing strikes, you know. And with hitters, it's just there was no good way to really figure out why they were improving and then did we expect it to stick. And I think a lot of people, it's like, oh, the Babbitts, you know, they'll have a high Babbitt, it'll come down. And I kind of wanted to look a little bit more in that is trying to figure out, like, some of these guys don't come down and there's, you know, improvements that actually do continue on from season to season. And so that's why I just started looking through each one individually and just trying to see if there was a common theme from each player. And um, what I eventually came to the conclusion of is plate discipline seems to be one that, I mean, it's kind of obvious that it's you don't strike out as much or you walk them where you're going to improve. And then also if they are hitting more fly balls um, was one that it was a notice power increase. And what I found was, is that a lot of people look at like the um, batted ball, you know, um, hard hit rate or even the mm-hmm. exit velocity. And it's almost more of them just putting in the air. They're really not going to see more power. They're just as strong as they are. It's really tough for someone that's 25 years old to really add a lot of power. I mean, they've been lifting weights probably for 10 years, you know, since they're 15 or even earlier. Yeah, they're, they're already physically fit. Right. So it's like, how is this power, where is this power coming from? And it was more just a change in their approach at the plate. So it's frequency, frequency of, of uh, fly balls. Obviously, if you add that, if you t- pair that with a fly ball, per, home run per fly ball increase, Bada bing, bada boom, all of a sudden you got 25 homers from a lot of guys who aren't necessarily hitting 25 homers. Um, You also identified in that first piece, the finding breakout hitters, a lot of situations that you found were were kind of BABIP related. What what, what were your studies there? Yeah, it was with, you would see someone, 
that they would really improve, but if you look at it, it was like a 60-point BABIP increase. It's like Jose Altuve this year is having a great year. It's Some people may consider it a breakout, but it's almost all BABIP-related. Everything else he's doing is exactly the same as he's always done. He's always had power. He's stolen bases. He's played great defense. I mean, he's the same person. It's just a few more balls have fallen into place, and that's going to happen from season to season for different players, and this is his year to really you know, kind of break out, but it's not really a well, breakout. It's just kind of normal distribution of how that good player will be sometimes. Yeah, if anything, I would consider Altuve's 2015 to be more of his breakout when he when he hit 15 homers and showed, hey, I've got some punch here that I can tap into and then hit 24 last year, and now he has 18 this year. If you really do look at it um, across the board in terms of skills, there's some changes here and there, but the real major difference is a 43-point jump in um, – in, in batting average on balls in play, and all of a sudden he's hitting 364 instead of 338, and there and there's of course uh, trickle down to the rest of the stats there. So um, yeah, and then on the other side, for some of the guys that are having awful seasons, it was simply low BABIP. Now you don't just look at the BABIP and 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 say, okay, we're done with it. There are reasons I think behind, especially on the lower end, some of these guys you've identified here, Carlos Gonzalez. You know he's getting old. Um, and he's just having a monstrously bad season. Rugnet Odor, uh, putting the ball in the air way too much. Too many pop-outs. Those are free outs. That's going to lower your BABIP. So, I mean, there are reasons, but then you got somebody like Manny Machado on the bottom 10 of BABIP when you wrote this. And for me, all season, it's looked like just that his singles weren't falling in. I really do think it's been bad luck for Manny Machado, whereas some of those other guys have some answers behind them. So when you're looking at the the BABIP aspect on the high and low end, how do you decide when there's some, or how, how do you figure out when there's some skill tied to it, and when it's really just the BABIP and 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 they're running hot for the year, even if it's not just bleeders and 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 doinks that are falling in, it could it could be laced hits, but instead of finding gloves, they're they're finding grass. How do you decide when it's uh basically when it's just kind of luck or when there is some skill uh, depreciation or appreciation on either side there? I had to just kind of, with this whole process, I was trying to keep it simple. And really the marking I used was like a 30-point jump. If I start seeing more than that, there may be some change. And the one thing I had seen, and this is kind of a tougher aspect to find out, is how pull versus spray or they're trying to go the opposite way it affects hitters differently i mean some of them can give up the power come to become more of a spray hitter and their you know their babbit will go up but their power will go down and it's really mm-hmm. tough when that happens to figure out some players probably should go all pull and try to get as many home runs as they can others should go spray it's just a tough metric to figure out what's best for each hitter and um, in the whole process I was trying to find simple ways to do it because I was obviously the more intricate harder ways just weren't really working for me so um, with the BABIP I think a lot of it is sort of spray sometimes and another thing it comes down to is if they actually do have better plate discipline they hit the ball better Certainly, a lot of these guys that have the higher BABIP um, Marwan Gonzalez is one that had a Huge improvement at the plate, but his BABIP increased too 
because he wasn't swinging at junk all the time. I mean, he Justin Smoke is another one. I mean, uh, one of the biggest differences that you see is is his plate discipline, lowered strikeout rate, and of course that fosters better contact. Right, if they're not swinging at trash like you're saying. So, I completely agree with you there. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the the, the follow up piece there, the stickiness of the stats, where you were looking at different metrics and kind of uh, seeing how they stick both year to year and from early part of a season throughout the rest of the year. Let's start with uh, play discipline, strikeout minus walk ratio, something that we use uh, often at the site for both hitters and pitchers. What were your findings there in terms of uh, the stickiness? It was pretty – I mean, it definitely held on pretty good. Of the games they have, um, two-thirds of them should stay for the next season. And even if they just have – Gains in March and April, we expect a third of those on average to stick. So a lot of them, I mean, you, they would have some crazy 15-point jump. But if you, even with the normal regression, that's around like a 5% improvement. Um, that's huge for them. I mean, it's um, really important. So these early trends can be good, and especially if you aim for the guys at the top end that are having the big improvements I'm sure they'll regress some, but they're the ones most likely to have the stuff stick for the whole season. So some of those early early breakouts we spotted, a good one was like Steven Souza. Um, I had picked him up in Tout Wars, and I, I totally did not expect him to gain plate discipline. I was like, well, if I have to, I'll get some home runs. I'll get some stolen bases. Hopefully he can play full time. I just got him in the reserve round. I mean, everyone else had a chance to pick him up. He was just a has-been. Mm-hmm. But since he's got plate discipline this year, it's he's an amazing fantasy player. So, I mean, it's just one of those deals that he happened to show it really early and it's just continued on for the full season. And what you're saying is in March and April, when you're looking for these, especially on the strikeout walk ratio situation, the guys that are having the biggest jumps are in particular, particularly interesting because when they have their slide back, they're still going to regress back to a level that's, that's, probably better than what they were doing previously. Suze is definitely one of those guys. You know, he's at a 29% strikeout rate, 13% walk rate this year. I would say in April, you know, he was probably besting both of those marks. So, uh, but we knew he was going to come back and he did, but he came back to a level. Yeah, he had 26% strikeout rate and 11% walk rate in April. The strikeout rate did come back up a bit, but it's still at a much more palatable 29% as opposed to the 34% that he had each of the last two seasons for Steven Souza. So he's certainly somebody that that maintained enough of his gains to have the breakout year that we're seeing. 261, 368, 502, triple slash, 25 homers, 9 stolen bases. Uh, what about fly ball rate? Because obviously that's a big one that we've been paying attention to. You see guys like Yonder Alonso selling out for it. Uh, fly ball revolution. Everyone, you know, that's the most talked about thing outside of the juiced ball. What did you find uh, with, with fly ball rates stickiness? It was, again, almost the same level of stickiness from year to year. So if someone sees an increase this year, they expect to keep two-thirds of it next year. Now, the thing I found more impressive was the March and April numbers are closer to 40% of their gain they'll maintain. So it's even more. So if someone comes in, they've probably been working over the offseason on trying to increase their fly ball rate. We see it early, and a lot of it's kept throughout the whole year. So these are kind of guys that are have changed something. Now, 
There's a tipping point, though, right? Yeah. If they, if they have I, what I noticed too much was improvement this, in their fly ball. Yeah, there for the extreme players. There's some that see like a huge improvement, and um, drawing a shortstop. Trevor Story was one that almost went to the extreme okay. side, where he was putting the ball just. It was almost like at a pop up rate, and I think mm-hmm. everyone calls it like the fly ball revolution. But I think um, Murphy of the National said it best. It's more like line drive or putting the ball in the air. It doesn't have to be the big fly balls, but it's more putting the ball between the line drive and fly ball era, area. And with just fly ball rates and so forth, those numbers can kind of vary a little bit, and it kind of depends on which hitter where it's best at. But it's, it's more of a thing just try to keep the ball off the ground and try to get some home runs or line drives. They're in that good area, and that seems to be able to stick. It's like it's an, it makes sense. It's a change that they've had. It seems to stick, and it, they um, have it going forward. What about uh, pole rates? Uh, because that's another thing that's associated with power going to the pole field. And again, when people are talking about this, uh, like like you said, it's called fly ball revolution. But what it really is is in air. Uh, revolution. That's something that J.D. Martinez hones in on, too. He says, you know, it's not just fly balls. It's just getting the ball in the air, though. That's where the most damage is going to be done. What about pole rates? Do they show uh, worthwhile stickiness? They were kind of even more unique in that they don't from year to year. However, a hitter's approach was in one year, they lose about half of it the next year. But if they make a change one year, it was the most stickiness of anything. Like, if they become a spray hitter for the year, they're going to stay a spray hitter. If they're going to be a pole hitter, they're going to be a pole hitter. And I think that... Oh, so in April, it has really good stickiness, but year to year, it's it's up Right, it seems like they change, or they kind of change their approach, and a lot of hitters, it kind of makes sense. It's tough to, you know, rework your swing during the season. So instead, they'll make a change during the offseason. They'll be like, oh, this worked or it didn't work, and then they'll go into the next offseason making a change, and it's kind of with the fly ball. So I think if you really want to look to see how a hitter performs, look early in the year on those numbers, and you can kind of see like, oh, this guy is, you know, going fly ball and going pole. He'll probably have some home runs. His power will increase. You know, we may see some um, batting average drop, you know, as the fly balls go down. But that's just one of those, you know, it's a trade-off, but we're actually seeing a positive change. Like just ignore his BABIP and everything else, maybe up or, you know, up or down. It's like, no, he's pulling the ball with fly balls. The problem is, and I keep finding this with the pull rate, is is that pull rate good or bad? Or is the fly... Some of them... Billy Hamilton probably could go all pull, but it's just going to do him no good. I mean, he, you know, yeah, exactly. he's not even going to get to the warning track with those fly balls. It's like, you need to go spray as much as humanly possible. Line drive, ground balls. I mean, just hit it straight, put yourself in play, get on base. And there's, like I said, some others that it just... They got enough, if you have enough power, they can go for the home runs then. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about a few breakouts specifically, and let me get your thoughts on uh, how they might hold up next year because I think that's where a lot of people are, are, are thinking now. Obviously, a lot of people are still in their, in their pennant chase, but others looking at keeper situations, they kind of want to know about some of these guys. Justin Smoke's an interesting one. Briefly mentioned him earlier. Huge gains in his, uh, in his strikeout rate improvements there um you know Eno's a little bit suspect on him how do you feel about Justin Smoke going forward is this somebody that you're buying into I think I will be I I'm 
I see a lot of noise, like Eno, where they don't believe it, that there's a, not a lot of, you know, trust that he's actually going to be great. But his improvements are noticeable. He's definitely um, better around the plate. He's His main thing is, is he's just making a lot more contact. He's... Um, his kind of his swing rates not really changing much. He's just somehow made contact, and I'm. He's got a, a, a 13 percentage point drop in strikeout rate from 33 percent last year to 20 percent this year for Justin Smoke. He's chasing less, 30 uh, percent down to 23 percent. Not a major change there, but uh, paired with the other change of the of, of the strikeout rate, swinging strike rates way down from 13 percent. To 9%, contact rate is up 72% to 80%. So again, yeah. just a, a an overall profile change for Justin Smoke to make better, uh, higher quality contact, something he has talked about in, in various articles saying that, you know, he was a little bit embarrassed by a 33% strikeout rate. That certainly was not the level that he's lived at, uh, and, he, and he desperately wanted to improve that, and he has. Now, I think where it gets a little sketchy for folks is that he's 30 and so he's going to be a 31-year-old first baseman next year. But you're saying he is somebody you would you would buy into either as a keeper or somebody that you'll buy at the uh, the auction table next year. Yeah, and I think like with the keeper, I know I had an AL only league that I could kind of pick up three stars, and I ended up with Altuve and Kluber, and I couldn't get in on Miggy. So my first base choices right at the end, I picked up for I think a dollar each was Logan Morrison and Smoke. Oh and my. They're definitely going to be keepers into next year, even if their production, I don't want to say halves on like the home runs, it's still going to be useful, especially in an AL only. Exactly. Because no, no one paid anything for him this year. Mm-hmm. Nothing. That's, that, that's the beauty of it is that uh, they just didn't cost enough. Now, what do you think Smoke's going to cost uh, in a redraft next year? Like how high is he going to reach in the first base ranks? Obviously, you don't have to rank them top to bottom, but do you think he's a top 10 guy, or do you think he falls outside of that top 10, Justin Smoke, next year for first baseman? I think he'll fall outside. It's going to be... Well, that'll make him a nice value then. I I, I think so. I think he'll be running like a 10th round value. Okay. You know, I I would say around like... I'm trying to think. Probably not as far as pull holes. Um the Brehu level, first base has definitely gotten deeper, so it's going to be interesting because people won't have to reach as much. Yeah, this year it felt scarce. Um, it felt like there were five, six guys that you could really trust on, and then it was starting to get, starting to be question marks, and then that vacuum was filled this year by guys like uh, Smoke and the aforementioned Logan Morrison, and even like a Marwin Gonzalez. Now, Marwin's better value is somewhere in the middle infield and he has multiple eligibility but uh, he has been the 11th ranked first baseman by uh, by ESPN's player rater Mark Reynolds um, several others too I mean just first base really lengthened up this year even Eric Thames who hasn't done a ton since April is still a top 20 guy so um, yeah I, I, I see smoke as somebody that uh, you know from a keeper standpoint, it's just too cheap not to keep. And then next year, I don't know that he's going to be overpriced in the market. So it'll be very interesting. Another guy that just returned, Aaron Hicks, was having a brilliant season in New York. It got derailed by injury. And then in that in that interim when he was out, guys like Clint Frazier came into the fray. And everyone was like, whoa, you know, where's Hicks going to play when he comes back? Well, of course, I think it was pretty obvious that Hicks was going to get a chance to get right back in there, having a brilliant season, 891 OPS, 12 homers, 8 stolen bases. 
is a 27-year-old Aaron Hicks somebody that you're buying into for next year? Absolutely. I kind of had been – I was a year late. I was all in last year, and he just – Year early, you mean? Yeah, year early. I'm, I'm he, always there, man. That's that's my life, uh, being a year early I was like, players. oh, he looked like it was just a perfect situation for him there. Yep. And he just didn't hit at all. And, I mean, it was issues across the board – I think he was trying too hard, is my yeah. personal opinion. Like he well, was just trying to sell that short porch and he just going for and, it. And and sporadic playing time too, right? He never he never really got extended looks. He seemed like it was always Hicks was always playing for his next start, or at least that's the way he approached it. Whether he was or not, we don't know, but I, I feel like that's kind of the way he played. And um, you know he pressed for sure. I mean, he had a putrid season, sixty-four WRC plus after a, a quality ninety-six in twenty fifteen. Like ninety-six is not great uh, on its own, but I say quality because fantasy-wise, there was some value to it with eleven homers and thirteen stolen bases in ninety-seven games. So I was also in on Hicks last year. It didn't work this year. Still got a couple shares, uh, but definitely not as heavily invested as I was last year. But uh, he's been great, so the power and speed is there. The defense, I think, guarantees him playing time. He's always had good plate approach. This year, his walk rate's up to 15%, strikeout rate's at 17%. He feels like somebody that uh, that you can comfortably buy into. And again, I don't think the price is going to be sky high. So you think he's somebody that's a, a, a double-digit rounder? Yeah, I think so. I think there's still going to be questions on the playing time, which mm-hmm. will help bring it down. But he's also one of those guys I love to target in the middle rounds that he gives you the home runs and stolen bases. He's not one side or the other. So it's like during the season, it's if he does go down or if players like that go down, it's easier to find a guy that's, you know, if you lose a 20-10 guy to maybe find a 15-7 guy. Yeah, but if you lose a 50 stolen base guy like Billy Hamilton, it's trouble or a 50 homer guy. I agree with you, and I really like those guys. And I also think that it keeps them a little hidden in the in the draft situation because like when people are looking at their projections and everything, there's not going to be that gaudy number that jumps off the page. There's no 40 stolen base projection or 30 homer or you know 320 batting average that projection that jumps off the page when people are looking in the teens rounds of their drafts and seeing Aaron Hicks. It's just going to be, oh, he does a little bit of everything. Let me go for somebody else who's a little bit higher upside. But I think there is plenty of upside with Hicks. If you figure what he could have done in a full season this year, I mean, we probably, I think we could have been looking at like a 2020 season. It would have been really nice out of Aaron Hicks. So I'm a little bit bummed that he didn't get to play the full year, but I think it'll keep him cheap for you and I to go after him. So I will remember that if you and I are in the same league, because I know you'll be going after him as well. Last one, Marwin Gonzalez. Uh, you mentioned his name a little bit earlier about some of the stuff that he's doing this year. You know, multi-position, multi-position eligibility. Um, you know, just having an amazing season for the Astros, 956 OPS, 20 homers, five stolen bases, but he is 28 years old. Is this something that you buy into and Marwin Gonzalez is going to be a Jeff Zimmerman guy next year, or are you, are you shying away from this breakout? Um, no, I actually, it's another one that I really like. Like he's got the double combination of his, he's swinging at less bad pitches, I mean, his out-of-zone swing rates dropped from 36 to 30%, and his contact rate on everything he swings at, you know, has gone from 75 to 81%. So he's just being a lot more 
selective at the plate, and when he does swing, he's making better contact. So you can just see it across the board where, you know, he's walking more, striking out just a little bit less, and then it's just making better contact. It's kind of these guys that's like, oh, there's a reason behind it. The reason seems to stick, and if he can just keep this up, these gains, it's going to – he'll be better. I mean, it's he's had some well, speed. Or I wouldn't say great speed, but he's had some – and, you and know, he gets to run. Like even though it hasn't been a great success rate for Marvin Gonzalez on the bases, they don't seem to put a full red light on him. Maybe it's yellow, uh, and they say, "Okay, you're going to get ten to twelve stolen bases in a year," as opposed to somebody who's going to run up twenty. But the weird thing is with stolen bases is they can spike weirdly too, right? If he, if he figures out some things, Marvin Gonzalez does where he's a little bit sharper on the base paths, he can have that spike year. Now you don't you don't go in betting on a spike year, but you take him for the power. The, the runs and RBIs being part of that lineup and a, and a chip in stolen base. And then all of a sudden he's that guy who gives you 18 instead of the 11 that you expected. And those seven extra stolen bases can be really nice. Um, I like what Marwin's, Marwin Gonzalez has done as well. 23% to 20% strikeout rate. That doesn't necessarily you know jump off as amazing. But I do like that there's an accompanying four percentage point swinging strike rate drop from 12% to 8%. I think that that's even bigger than the strikeout. So it tells you that he's not flailing at a whole bunch of stuff. So Marvin Gonzalez is definitely somebody that I'm going to be looking at next year too, because I really favor positional eligibility guys. I I really like having those, especially in deeper leagues. You and I play in a lot of like 15 team mixed or only leagues, AL only guys like that are so valuable. Uh, It's hard to put a number on it, but I I definitely think it's there. I love being able to move guys around to get the best uh, free agents available. Yeah, I tried to um, earlier this year um, with one of my multiple source sites. I think it was for Baseball HQ I wrote on trying to come up with a value for the positional eligibility. And it's usually around higher. Like if they just have a value at this, you could probably move them up around and not feel bad that their value will allow you to – give you more um, value during the draft and afterwards. That's great. Uh, a round, that's about what I've done, is a round or a couple bucks in auctions. Yeah, so, and that's what um, I did work at. It. That's probably the round wasn't the thing. They're probably worth a dollar or two more. That's probably, you know. They probably scale, though, too, right? I would say the higher guys may be worth, you know, the two, three bucks, and then the mid-round guys maybe a buck or two. And then the late round guys, again, you know, just the $1. I, I, I feel like it would scale. Maybe somebody at the top of the heap. I'm trying to think of, you know, Zobrist at his peak when he was, uh, uh, you know, really strong player and bouncing around. I would probably have added three, four bucks to his to his total. I mean, well, like, and Justin Turner probably got it this year coming in a little bit. Like, yep. like you yep. can go both of them. Shortstop, he was probably going to get stuck there, but um, – I mean, uh, my top shortstop this year has been Eduardo Nunez, but I've had to move him around and bring in Freddie Galvis on my tout team just because it's it's helpful. I mean, um, Cody Bellinger, I know, is probably going to have it. And The first base outfield eligibility for Cody Bellinger, I, I do like, too. We talked about the depth of first base. So you keep him there, and maybe you're hoping to put him in your corner with a stud first baseman and then say, hey, you know, you get – you get a great corner that falls in your lap. Okay, I'll move Bellinger to the outfield, and there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. He fits out there perfectly as well. So, I, I love positional flexibility for sure. Let's talk a little bit about uh, 
first base on the other end. Cody Bellinger, young, up-and-coming first baseman. Uh, you've got a piece planned about some of the older first basemen, the, the former first-round, you know, all-everything fantasy players, Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols, these first-base declines. Pujols has already been in his decline phase now for a few years. Cabrera looks like he's starting his, and Eno's actually invoked the name of Albert Pujols and said Miggy might be starting his Pujols decline. What have you found on, on Miggy's season uh, as he's struggled and really, really kind of hurt fantasy owners? Because it's been, it's been a brutal year, hitting 255 with just 13 homers. That's a, that's a huge negative if you took him in the late first round, early second round. So what are you finding on these two uh, first base decliners? Yeah, Miggy's has been rough. I mean, Pujols is actually rated higher than he is right now at the ESPN Player Rater. But they're both, one's 38 and the other one's 41. Jeez. So, I mean, you've got Matt Adams ahead of him, Danny Valencia. It's not good with either one. Um, Chase Headley (laughs) is ahead of them. Wilmer Flores. Joe Maurer. And I, I I know you know because we cite the uh, the player radar a lot because it's an easy shorthand and some folks have uh, pointed out some flaws with with just looking at that that's fine, but there's no adjustments that you can make to the player radar to you know boost Pujols and Miggy. I think that this is an accurate portrayal of the fact that they've been terrible. Even if you wanted to bump them up. 10 rankings each, fine. Then they're 28 and 31. That's still a nightmare for Pujols and Cabrera, respectively. Uh, like I said, Pujols has already kind of been in this phase. I think people know what they're getting when they when they invest in him. Where are you on Miguel Cabrera? What are you seeing out of, out of this putrid season as it relates to the future? What I had looked at, I kind of just found a few similarities where their declines are just heading that similar way where Pujols's decline and really the rapid one is when he had the plantar fasciitis started with him and he just wasn't able to stay on the field and it just really kind of just slapped a lot of his speed a lot of his power and Mickey's kind yep. of getting that way with his back this year it just doesn't seem to he can't shake it that's a good parallel and so it's kind of I had found out that you know injuries Hitters aren't injury prone, but they can just be constantly hurt, like David Wright. And I'm, you know, and mm-hmm. our pull holes was in this one, and the hitters will eventually just get that way. Like Grady Sizemore is another one where it's just like, well, you just can't oh. play. You know, don't don't bring him up. His body, man, just failed. You know, Rocco Baldelli's body just clearly wasn't cut out for the rigors of 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 being a professional athlete. And I'm not saying that to shade him. I think some guys just genetically get the short end. Obviously, they got the high end in terms of even getting to the majors, but then within the the spectrum of their peers, they're on the low end, and there's just you know their body's just going to break down under the uh, under the stress of it. Thankfully, we've seen Pujols and Cabrera take much longer to do that. They've had amazing careers, but I'm looking right now, and just just as kind of an easy comparison. It looks like Miguel Cabrera's 2017 here looks a lot like Albert Pujols's 2013 season when he hit 17 homers and a 258 average with a 112 uh, WRC+. Plus. Um, Miggy's at 99 WRC+, plus with 13 homers and a 255 average. And, you know, Miggy's 34 this year. Pujols was 33 that year. So it looks like Miggy's transitioning into his his present day Pujols face. That said, 
Pujols then put up 28 homers in a 272 average, 40 homers, 244, 31, 268, with good RBI totals in all three of those seasons, 105, 95, 119. Is this how you see Miguel Cabrera playing out, or are you concerned that the back's going to keep him off the field too much to even put up those those gaudy RBI totals? I think he'll play, and I think it'll kind of – they really have the problem with not being able to play him at DH also. I think Victor's Victor Martinez's contract has got to be up soon, though. My God, hang on. All right. I think I think he might have one more year. But on I it. mean, no, he's done. So DH does. Oh no, no, he has one more year. So you're right. So they can't really put him at DH too much next year either. With Victor eating that spot up uh, as a 39 year old for 18 mil, who could have seen a four year deal for a 36 year old not going? Yeah, home? I know, Jeff. That's crazy. It was just like I was looking at this like, oh, they could. D- oh, they still can't DH him. Nope, one more year. So you're right. That's that's going to put some extra burden on Miguel Cabrera's body that he has to play first. Uh, you know, he's not. A, I don't think he's an elite first base. I'm not going to sit here and try to convince people of that. But watching him day in and day out, I feel like his reputation is lower than it should be for defense. But they're going to tell. I, I I can see them saying, "Hey, relax on the defense. We need you at the dish." Um, but I just, I don't think he goes half speed. I don't think Miguel Cabrera does that. So I. Are you seeing anything that that has you concerned of maybe like a surgery this year uh, in the offseason to get him right? Or is this just a time will kind of heal him sort of thing? I think time will heal. I hope it's not a surgery. I They se- seem very quiet about it. They're not very forthcoming. Right? So that's the one thing that kind of worries me that a lot of times when, they're, when teams are hush-hush about it, it's actually worse than it is. So, But the other thing I've noticed is obviously his power's down. And it has been for a few years now since he really kind of started the entries about two years ago, two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. He started missing time. He had, that, and, he had that first DL stint in 2015. And yep. so it's kind of been downhill. And the other thing I've noticed, which was a huge thing with pull holes I'll go through with the article, is pitchers just don't respect him anymore. And you can see it in their intentional walk rate. Like pull holes' walk rate was insane there for a while, kind of supported by intentional walks and um, kind of the – intentional unintentional walk where they just kind of pitch around him yeah yeah it's not an ibb where they where they you know put four wide ones but they didn't give him anything to hit and we're talking in his peak when pujols had a 15 percent walk rate um you would see the intentional walks be up but again if you watched you would also see the ones that you knew were intentional even if they weren't you know glove to the side or today it would be just sending him to first base uh pujols has had a sub 10 percent walk rate throughout his entire time with the yeah Angels. and so i was looking with cabrera that he only has six intentional walks this year which is down from 15 last year and he peaked out a few while, while back at like 30 some so i mean he's definitely like the hit, pitchers just aren't afraid of him and for some leagues he's not going to get on base as much for on-base percentage league, it's going to hurt you. He's not going to get as many runs because he's not on base. That drop and him just not being on base and pitchers attacking him is going to bring him down a little. It's what happened with Pujols, and he's going to be an RBI home run guy. And I kind of see him – I don't have a good comp, but I, it's actually probably – I mean, again, Pujols, I was trying yeah, to think they, of I mean, else. They really are cops for each other, right down to the fact that they're inner circle Hall of Famers. Um, so I, I, I do think it works, and I think you gotta, uh, you got to approach Miggy as such next year. Obviously, he's not going to be anywhere near the first round. People are going to move him down. 
I could see it going too far, though. I could see, you know, Cabrera getting ignored too much in certain drafts to where he ends up becoming a bit of a value pick. So I'm going to be intrigued to see where Miggy's going in drafts next year, how he looks in spring training, like what kind of stories are coming out. You know, if they get that whole clean bill of health and he looks his best and he hits seven spring home runs, I could see him popping back up to, you know, like sixth, seventh round where people generate excitement. But I'm going to be really intrigued by where Miguel Cabrera goes next year. That's for sure. Jeff, I want to finish up with uh, with some pitching. You do these great quick looks pieces. Uh, I think they're they're absolutely fantastic where, I mean, they're just as the title implies, they're a quick look at a guy. You throw some gifts in about their pitches, talk about what you think, uh, you know, the upside of a given pitch is, you know, it's just the one look. And so you, you know, you admit that, hey, Things can change, and this is the one start that I watched, and these are the things that I found. But I reference these, you know, 5, 10, 15 starts into a guy's career just to see where you were with it compared to where they are now, and uh, I always find them very valuable. Your most recent one was on two young rookies, Brandon Woodruff and Luke Sims. Brandon Woodruff of Milwaukee and Luke Sims of Atlanta. Uh, who was your favorite between those two? Woodruff by far. He is, okay. He's got some swing, definite swing and miss to all of his pitches. They're all hard. They all have good movement. Um, his biggest issue is he sometimes isn't near the plate. He's sort of, he's not falling off when he's throwing, but he's definitely like at full effort. So if he, I think it's probably kind of a balance. And our buddy um, Doug Thornburn would probably agree where he's like given up. I mean, he's getting some velocity, but giving up some control. He doesn't have good Certainly. balance. So, it's kind of a line with him, but the strikeouts are there, and if he can just find a way just not to walk, and a lot of times he he doesn't, he'll get the strikeout, but it seems like he gets a lot of 3-2 counts. I wish we would actually track that on the site, like percentage of them that are, you know, or goes to three, it's like three balls. It's like, it seems like every at bat he was sometimes struggling just to finish him off, and it was just because he gave up a couple pitches that were just way outside or bounced him toward the plate. Man, he's got some nice swing and miss. Um, his change is amazing. It, the, the, yeah, I was just about to bring it up. The, the the one change that you clipped to was so disgusting. Oh, it's and all of them were that way. That was the one thing with him is when it wasn't that he was in, really inconsistent. His slider sometimes hung. It didn't when it broke. It was nasty, but sometimes it just broke a little bit late. You could see it start to, and the hitters would kind of tee off on it. But otherwise. All his stuff looked good. He was consistent with it. It was just sometimes, you know, a foot, foot and a half outside. You know, just not. And I, I totally see what you're saying about how, like, he doesn't completely fall off. It's not exaggerated. But you can see where, where he's putting in the max effort to get the velo uh, and maybe sacrificing a little bit of his command and control there for Brandon Woodruff. So he's definitely somebody to watch, a legit prospect for sure. Luke Sims, a little bit more of a post-type guy. I remember um, seeing him on prospect reports a while ago and even at the Arizona Folly a couple years back. And I was impressed by him at the Arizona Folly. It was a two-inning stint at the Rising Stars game. You know, we never want to go too hard on what we see in an inning or two at the at the Fall Stars game. But I was like, okay, I see why he's a prospect. There's some movement here. There are 
flaws in the game, and it certainly looked like more of a uh, a number three, number four starter. What did you see out of Luke Sims? By the way, this is Lucas Sims for some. They may remember him as a prospect. That's what that's what he went by. But he is he now goes by Luke Sims. So uh, just just want to note that change in case someone thinks that we're talking about a different player. This is Luke Sims from the Braves. What did you see in him? And was there anything that 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 stood out as a positive for you? There was very little positive, and um, he'd gotten quite a bit of love. And, and like in the Brave system, they're pretty loaded. And he was number thirteen according to MLB. He was. Uh, I don't think he made um, Eric's um, forty or higher list, but he was like another mention. So MLB kind of updates theirs throughout the year a little bit more. So I was like, well, maybe he got stuck in and kind of got moved up because when they lose a player, they readjust their list. Yeah, I and I like that. But at the same time, I don't because then when I want to reference a previous year to see what like what the scouting report is that they had, you can't find it. So that's that's just a, a personal quibble. But um, yeah, it does give them a chance to kind of add different guys. Was Sims somebody that was added after after guys got moved up? Um, I don't know. I will find out when um, I'll look around here. But the because um, they have his beginning of the year numbers on the site. Yeah, at, quickly as you're looking for that, um, I'm going to mention that. Um, let's see, Eric ranked 32 guys and Luke Sims did not make it. Like you said, he was an other of note and I mean, it is a very deep system, so you can give him a little bit, uh, 32 guys, excuse me. So you can give him a little bit of a, a little bit of a pass there, but I mean, that kind of that kind of gives you some some idea of where he's at, Luke Sims. If he's not cracking a top thirty-two list that that Eric did, no, um, he was still at nineteen. They had him at preseason. He hadn't moved, okay. so that was the one thing. And from reading the reports, I like watched him, and it's like this guy's like quad A guy, and all of his reports had him throwing about two to three miles an hour harder, which would make a big difference. I mean, they had him averaging about eighty-four, and I went through BA, I looked through Eric's, I um. Looked at the MLB numbers. Like I said, right now in front of me, they say 93-95. I'm kind of wondering if those were pulled from like short stints in um, maybe even that fall league game where it's like no one had really yeah. seen him. And now it's like, oh, this is, you know, he's not who we thought he, oh, who he, who he, thought he was. And, but these reports just kind of get there and no one really changed him. Because, I mean, at times he was having problems even getting above 90 miles an hour during the start toward the end. And. And and he was popping the glove, I think in in the low to mid ninety, like the 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 ninety three to ninety five range with some consistency at that Rising Stars game. But again, you can kind of pump it for an inning or two in front of the uh, in front of the scouts and on TV there, and maybe gas up uh, the the perception of your velocity there. He's averaging ninety one and a half as a major leaguer so far. Luke Sims is with a twelve percent strikeout rate. God, that is so putrid. Um, that's why I can't get in on the Ty Block or the Paul Blackburn experience. Uh, and Luke Sims looks like a poor man's version of those. Yeah, guys. there's and looking at his pitches, he kind of has this loopy curve that might be useful as like a fourth pitch, and it's like his second best. Um, <laughs> there, it's he has a slider that's not. It's they're calling it a slider. Maybe it's a cutter, but it's not really moving at all. I agree with you on, on – I'm looking at it right now. I agree with you that that's way more of a cutter than anything else. And he else. just got – there is no report also of him ever throwing it, and it's his second most thrown pitch this year, like coming into the season, so it must be a new pitch. But it, it's just getting crushed. So right now, um, for a lot of these guys, I've you know, looked at him, and it's like 
he probably needs to go back to the minors or he needs to make some change. He's just not usable right now. Fantasy owners can move on. I would definitely take Woodruff over the two. And like I said, there's a couple other ones that I like to look at. And sometimes just the camera angle. I'd like to see if the ball breaks up or down or left or mm-hmm. right. And they're just off too far. It's not worth it. But that That is a big focus of yours. In fact, you mentioned at the outset of this piece that you're trying to do looks at Banda, Anthony Banda of Arizona and Reynaldo Lopez of the White Sox. But you haven't found the angles for those. Um, newcomer Nick Pollock from thepitcherlist.com did a great piece on Reynaldo Lopez. And I'll actually be interested. I hope you still go through with a Lopez one because uh, I, I don't think it's overlap. I want to see two, the two different opinions between you and Nick on Reynaldo Lopez and see how they differ. So I hope you still go through with that. Uh, you mentioned that the Miguel Cabrera and Pools piece is upcoming and you are also going on a vacation. Uh, anything planned for post-vacation or are you going to save that for when you get back? No, actually the one thing I was going to do is um, I just had thought of when I was actually writing the breakout stuff is maybe look to see if we can look at some last month breakout. Look to see if some guys have done something over the last two months or the last month of the season and see if that can be something going forward or not. Well, especially if they didn't do so well early, and then their numbers are kind of held down by that. I find. Have you ever studied this about how? I'm not sure it's a study. It's just kind of a thing that I've noticed, like how a bad April or a bad you know first six weeks can really hold down a season line, and sometimes it can cover some kind of mid or late season breakouts. Do you ever see anything like that? Oh, all the time, and a lot of times I'll do a focus of like 60 days or the last three months and just 90 days. And it's like, if that was the first 90 days, this person is the best player. Everyone would go crazy. Yeah. But he's being hidden and, and trying to find those ones. Um, One problem I have is, is it's like in such deep leagues. I'm in anyone with a pulse seems like they're owned. So it, and that's one of the downsides of, of the league types that you and I play more regularly it's not that you know i i'm i'm in an 11 team mixed league so there's plenty of 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 guys on the waiver wire i like having a variety of leagues but we do play in deeper ones only leagues 15 team mixers 18 team mixers and you know those guys that uh, that are on the wire that are kind of hidden in a 12 team mixer have been owned for two months in an 18 team mixer and so it becomes a pain in the butt when you find those and you're like well i don't have anywhere to pick them up yeah And, and it's like I always felt like the, the leagues I want to play in is like I want options. I kind of don't like the twelve team AL. It's just like there's just nothing out there. But it's like I want an option. I'm with you. But I want the option to be dirty. <laughs> it's like I want to feel dirty after. It's like I don't really want to pick this guy up, but I have to. I used to be of the mind where you have to be in like a fifteen team AL Central only <laughs> league. Where you're taking, you know, their double A guy who has a two and a half percent chance of coming up. That's the way to do it. And I'm like, listen, I'm still down for those leagues. I'm still down for a really tough league where, you know, at, you're you're turning over every single rock and the backup catcher is your utility guy because that's all that's available. I'm all, fi- I'm all fine with that. But I do think there is – I'm going to say I think there's a little bit more – I think maybe a little bit more fantasy skill comes into play when you are in that in that wheelhouse of like a 12, even a 15-team mix. It's not that deep. Like There's still often a lot of options on the wire. I think that that's really the sweet spot there. And then you're not just so beholden to injuries because what, ha- what happens in a 12-team AL or NL only is that it becomes really that battle of attrition. Who stays healthy and or 
in the midst of their injuries, who gets the Paul DeYoung in the A or in the NL, or who gets the? I'm trying to think of somebody who's really out of nowhere in the AL, but like, well, Judge when you was. Do get an I mean, injury for three dollars. Yeah, frankly, yeah, frankly, Judge was. So who gets that? Who gets that guy? And I'm not saying there's no skill there. There's some guys that were, <clears throat> excuse me, were 100 percent in on Judge this year, and I would ask them why, and they say, well. I think he's going to be a stud, and I've been following him in the minors, and they would have real reasons. Okay, fine. That's great. But those are the the outliers. I like when there's movement on the wire. Like you said, when there are options, I think that's the best league type. So that's something that I'm most interested in. I think, like I said, that 12 to 15 team mixer is probably my favorite uh, league type right now. Do you prefer Roto or head-to-head, by the way? I'm definitely a Roto person. I'm the head-to-head. I wish it was a little bit longer. That's just something with how it is. As opposed um, as opposed to just one yeah, week. Yeah, and the, the reason is that yeah. sometimes it seemed like I was this way last year in Tout was I would crush some weeks and not because my pitching rotations were just – they were the same. I almost wanted to trade two guys they were, off. They were together, yep. So you would get this you great you have week. all your two-start guys at once. Right, and it was just like I almost got to be like, I want to trade these guys off to someone on a different rotation just because – it was like driving me nuts. It was like, well, we have a great week coming up, and now next week we got to deal with a horrible one. Or you know, I, I completely agree with you, especially in points leagues and uh, the ones that are points head to head as opposed to just the roto categories. And I wonder for folks that play in a lot of head to heads, um, do you have that experience? Is that something? Obviously, it can change because rotations change. But if you find yourself in like a, a two month span where the bulk of your of your best starters all pitch on the same let's say two days let's say they're all kind of clustered in in you know monday or tuesday on this week and then they're thursday friday next week but then you know that off week when they're all one start guys do, i wonder if people trade out of that me, 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 mention it in the comments if you're a head-to-head guy or gal and you have that situation do you ever trade out of it or do you just let it kind of play out uh jeff it's been great talking to you we want to try out your new Yeti microphone, so uh, hopefully everything's going to end up sounding good here on the recording. Have a great time on your vacation. Uh, so no pieces for a week, and then you'll be back to finish off the yep, season? I'll be ready to go. And um, I'm Like I said, I have some ideas, and but who knows what will happen between now and then. That's the one thing I've always found with pieces. It's like who, who knows what will happen in a week. I can't tell you how many I've set up that end up getting scrapped because something changes. Somebody else writes up that player. I just don't feel like it. That player stops playing well or starts playing well, depending on what, what angle I was taking. So I'm totally with you there. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Um, they can find me at Jeff W Zimmerman. And um, I'm probably not the most prolific, but I'll put out what I write and then send out a few opinions. And you will respond when discussed right you don't put out a lot of stuff that's that that is just a message that you're putting out but when people interact with you i've noticed that you are 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 good about responding so jeff w zimmerman on twitter jeff thanks so much for joining me man i'll talk to you later all right thanks a lot